Spire. Welcome back to Starting Now. I'm your host, Jeff Saris. This is the show where I talk to entrepreneurs to reveal the unexpected paths to entrepreneurship. Today, my guest is Tim Stoddard. We, in this episode, we dive into Tim's story, his origin story from starting his personal blog many years ago and how it morphed and adapted into documenting his journey with sobriety. And it became Sober Nation, which became a very popular blog that then led him to build his business, which is around uh, SEO and connecting uh, healthcare providers with people. And it's it's a great story. It's it's really valuable to see how someone who could start he started a project for himself. It was it was a very important thing for him to do. But then he found the this path, this thread that led him into entrepreneurship in a way that can really help the community that he set out to contribute to in the first place. It's it's a great story, great conversation. And without further ado, my conversation with Tim Stoddard. So to, to start out, sort of how do you describe what you do? Sort of what's the uh, little elevator pitch of who uh, you are right now? Wow. Um, well, like I said, Jeff, thank you so much for having me. I listened to your episode with Brian Clark and uh, I just thought you were a great interviewer and I, I've been a fan ever since. So Tim Stoddard, I, I, if I have to describe like what it is that I do, I suppose I'd say that I'm a writer. Uh, first, all of my companies, all of my hobbies, who I uh, am when I'm not working has all been centered around writing. But as time goes on, um, you know, I've, I've found ways to, what's the word, like transition writing into different skills that allow me to, to make a business, you know, so I've become a pretty good SEO. And obviously, you know, SEO requires good writing, but I'm not really sure that they're, they're like synonyms in a way. But when I think of writing, I think more of storytelling, whereas SEO can be a little bit more technical. Um, but, you know, it's definitely allowed me to, to do what I love to do in a way that also can provide for myself and, and, and grow a cool company. So I think I'm a writer first. I think I'm an SEO second, maybe. Um, and then I think I'm, uh, I, I think I'm really good at like systems. I, I get off on that in a way. I, I think it's really, really fun to see like a big mess. You know, like I, I, if, if there's a, a big mess of wires behind a computer or something like that, I'm on my hands and knees, like taping them all, you know, <laughs> that's me exactly also. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I, I just, I need it to work that way. And so I think um, that, strange like idiosyncratic personality trait of mine has has done well from like an operations standpoint you know because i just like to solve those little puzzles um so yeah that's that's my career in a nutshell i know that's very matter of fact to like um to my entrepreneurship life and obviously there's more to me than that but if i had to like define what it is about me that that makes a good entrepreneur i'd say it's probably those three things would you say that you're a problem solver then? Because like I consider myself a problem solver almost above everything else and sort of thinking about like cleaning up the mess, like really approaching that, um, the systems of making things better. Do you, do you consider yourself a problem solver? For sure. 
Um, I, I, I think this is just another way of saying the same thing, but I've come to, I've thought a lot about this. I don't want to get too heady, but the more and more I think about what it means to be a problem solver, it's a decision maker because that's like the hardest thing to do, right? Because if you make a decision, you either were right or you were wrong. And either way, you have to sort of live with that. And so I think um, I've gotten better at it because being the person, whether the just being the person to say like, no, this is the direction we're heading, I think takes, um, I mean, it takes courage, but it also takes uh, just that ability to to go in regardless if you're right or wrong because it's better to make a decision and be wrong than like not make a decision and be right you know so i would absolutely consider myself a problem solver but i know it's kind of meta i've I've actually just thought about this concept a lot i think being a problem solver is equal to being like a decision maker in in some way or another yeah absolutely yeah because i mean all problem solving is a bunch of small decisions or large decisions along the path to to get there so your company now actually you mentioned Brian Clark, um, and mm-hmm. you are you have your company, which is uh, Stadzi. Is that Stadzi? Yeah, yeah, you nailed it. Um, and then um, you're a partner at Copyblogger. So just sort of for the landscape, for anyone uh, sort of new who hasn't come across your work before, um, just describe sort of Stadzi and the size of the company and whatnot, and then you, how uh, Copyblogger fits into the to the fray. I would be happy to. We can go like the short version or or the long version of it. Um, which yeah, I'd say. Yeah, I'd say like? just the short version to start, because then I like to rewind and go through your origin story and sort of how we got to cool. where we are today. Uh, excellent. Well, Stadzi is an agency. Um, we're a. We've grown into more of like a robust digital agency, but we started as a content marketing SEO agency. Basically, everything I know about online marketing. Um, well, the foundation of what I know about online marketing, I learned from reading Copyblogger every day over the last uh, 10 years, but especially year one through like year five or six, right? And Copyblogger was always just a huge influence in my life. Um, It was my education really, and not even my education. It was proof that like, oh, I get it. Like this is a possible thing. You know, because when you see the world of entrepreneurship and there's all the gurus and stuff like making it look so easy, um, I, I needed that. I needed just some real quick systematic, uh, well, maybe not systematic, like tangible steps to take that made it seem like, oh, like this is a thing that I can actually do. And so I built um, Stadzi really off of the back of, of Copyblogger, just taking what I learned and executing it. Um, I've been fortunate enough that I've stuck around with Copyblogger and eventually got to meet Brian Clark, who was like a, a real idol of mine, um, and then was in a position where I was able to to come on board with the company. It's something like I'm I'm really really proud of, and still have to kind of pinch myself sometimes because it's like a a, a funny thing to idolize like a website about writing. You know, it's like, well, who are your, your heroes? It's like, Oh, you never heard of him. Some guy named Brian Clark, he writes blog articles, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, to the personally, the, I totally relate to that though, because like sure. we both sort of, we came up around the same time and copy blogger was such a key part of like me making the leap to entrepreneurship, honestly, because 
like like you said, he showed the roadmap. He showed where you can get to. Maybe not roadmap. Roadmap is probably too specific, but he showed how you can make it on your own through doing things like copywriting and uh, content marketing and all these things. So yeah, it's like he's always going to have like, I feel like a place in a lot of people's hearts as like, oh, you helped me along this path. Whether we've ever met, whether we've ever interacted before sort of uh, in a deep way or not. Um, yeah, it made a made a big impact. A huge impact. And that's why I I, I really remain super, super grateful to just be a part of it because, uh, well, you, you said it, like it had a huge impact on my life and uh, I, I'll never forget that. I, I really make sure I live in like a space of gratitude. Um, and so now, yeah, that's, that's, that's where I am now. Copy blogger is, is, is part of my life and I love it. Yeah. And, and what's your role in it? Because you're, you're like an, a partner of copy blogger now. Sure. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's a really great question. I guess I should like <laughs> define my official title at some point or another. Um, you know, we're pretty lean. Like Copyblogger sold a lot of its assets, you know? So like we don't have StudioPress. We don't have Rainmaker platform or anything anymore. Um, and I'm happy about that, really. Like those are the kind of toys that I, I have the most fun with, you know? And so... If we were a bigger company, you would probably consider me the CEO. I think legally I, I would be the CEO, but that, that feels a little funny because there's only four of us, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but regardless, it's a it's a leadership position in which I have a huge role in like the day to day operations of what we're building, how we're building it, and and how we're building a business out of it. Yeah, and I love that it, it's gone back to its core, to its roots, mm -hmm. and I don't know that. It warms my heart. I love that because that, like, like nice. we said, it, it meant a lot to us on our path. And then it became a big company with a lot of different moving parts. So maybe the content marketing side uh, became a little less prominent. Not, not much. It's always been so important. But now I like that it's back, back to the forefront. So yeah, it's really exciting. But now just to sort of rewind and who were you um, maybe early days, like growing up, teenager, like who did you see yourself as? Did you see yourself as an entrepreneur? Were the people in your life that sort of had an entrepreneurial um, lean or is this something completely new for you? Great question. I've, well, I was born in Philadelphia. Part of my story, which I think is always important is that I had like really young parents. And so my aunts and my uncles, and I'm the first of, of my cousins. So, so I was always surrounded by family and my aunts and uncles were almost like brothers and sisters, just as much as they were aunts and uncles, just because like we were closer in age than most would be. And so I think I had that spirit of adventure just because I was kind of treated like a grown up a lot, even as a kid. Um, my parents were super laid back. Like I was definitely not attached to, well, there weren't cell phones back then, which is so crazy to say, because I'm only <laughs> 35, you know, but it's just a different world. Like I would just go play. And when I heard my mom whistle, that meant I had to come back for dinner. So I was always very, very like adventurous and jumping off of trees and high energy, as you can probably tell every time I do a podcast, I'm like talking too fast to him <laughs> just because just I got so much energy. Um, but you know, as I grew up, I was a, uh, I was like a skateboarder. My 
ultimate hero was Tony Hawk. And still, even till this day, since we're talking about, about heroes, I, I just, everything Tony Hawk did was the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I thought I was going to spend my life being a skateboarder. And through that, I, I was always pretty entrepreneurial, you know, like I would read CCS magazine and see all these kids that were building like little media brands. And I didn't necessarily understand what it was back then. I just, I just knew that whatever I was going to do was going to be my own path, right? I've, I've never been fearful of going my own route. So, you know, that didn't necessarily lead for like the best experience in, in school or college. I didn't go that route. But as soon as I was able to, I, I started my own business. You know, I had like a landscaping business in high school and I was making some good money uh, over the summer and got into contracting and built houses for years and years and years and, you know, had a contracting business on the side. But it really wasn't until uh, I discovered the Internet and I discovered SEO that I saw like that potential for scale. You know, like I'm, I come from a real blue collar family. My mom was a was an ER nurse. And my dad was one of the guys that threw the suitcases into the belly of planes, you know? And so I, I thought of work as in like an hour's worth of work for an hour's worth of pay. And even in my own business, I still saw it that way, right? It was just like, I can do it on my own time and just have my invoices, have my name on the invoices, right? But the internet, as is the case for a lot of people, um, opened up this world to like scalability and media and um, and just like full-fledged ability to monetize off of creativity. And as soon as I discovered that, man, like I, I never looked back. Yeah, for sure. Did you ever have a proper job or were you always on your own? Um, I worked, <laughs> I was mostly always on my own. The most proper job I ever had was working for a guy named Mike Thornton, who was a carpenter. And um took me under in a lot of ways during like a really, really rough time in my life. And I'm, I'm so grateful to that guy. I don't think I would have been able to actually be an entrepreneur if I didn't have like those three or four years of just, you, you, you got to be here at 7am type mentality, right? Like, I don't care if it's raining. I grew up in Philly, right? So I don't care if there's two feet of snow, like you're here at 7am and we do our job because that's what we get paid to do. And uh, he really instilled that my father instilled a lot of that in me as well but there was still something about just a little bit more of the hard nose type mentality that mike thornton um taught me about that uh really really helped um yeah other than that i i had a couple other gigs where i was just like desperate you know and had those moments was like oh i guess i need to guess maybe this isn't right for me. I guess I just got to go get a job. But every time I did that, I always ended up getting fired or quitting within like two or three weeks. So uh, yeah, you just know it's not a fit. Like you, you knew yeah. it sounds like you knew from an early age sort of intrinsically where you were heading. You just didn't know how, how you didn't get there yet because we never do. It's always so uh, mm -hmm. it's fuzzy. But that mentorship and that almost apprenticeship that you had um, with uh, with that gentleman was probably just so important because that's important for all of our journeys. Like we really, we need someone to help guide us at moments that um, we otherwise just don't really, we don't really have that direction maybe. Yeah, it was so important. And you know what? The other thing that was really cool about it is uh, I've developed some like uh, mental comparisons between 
I feel like everything you need to know in life, you can learn from building houses. And it, I, there's so many lessons that taught me where I'll see something that has like nothing to do with contracting, but the comparisons I pull are still the same. It's like, oh, I get it. Like there's no foundation on this. You know, we're like, oh, I get it. They used this kind of tool when they need to use this kind of tool. And so the, the, the building blocks of society in a way, I always see through the lens of, of what is required to build like a proper long-standing house that can, you know, withstand the rain and can withstand the blizzards and doesn't leak when you flush the toilet, you know, stuff like that. So it was a huge, huge experience in my life. Yeah. I really like that a lot. And how did that play in then as you were building your business? Well, websites are nothing but houses. Like they're just digital, you know, it's, uh, Every website, especially in SEO, needs a foundation. If the foundation isn't built, the framing of the website is just going to fall apart. You know, once you have the framing, you can't start adding in the walls and the paint and the windows, right? Unless like you're framed it properly. So, um, so, and I, I can keep going, you know, I'm not trying to like geek out on you too much about it, but we it, internally at Stasi, like we, we really have part of like our, our culture almost when, when there's a problem we need to solve and we talk about it, those comparisons continuously come up where it's like, Oh no, like the, the framing on this website is off. Like the walls are falling down. You know, let's say there's some, there's some corrupt code in the HTML or, or something like that. Just an example. Uh, so like there's, there's a ton of comparisons. And I think what it does is it keeps us honest because when you're building a house, like if you don't build it right, it will just not work. You know, like there's no life hacks to proper contracting. There's no like morning routines or any of that like type of shit. It's just, did you build it right? And if you did, it's going to last. And if you didn't, then it's not. And so uh, I think it's really helped a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as you were growing then, how, because I assume it started probably just as you, um, how did you... Uh, know when it was time maybe to bring people in because now it's a pretty big company, it sounds like. Yeah, well, I would have to go back a little bit for that to tell um, how the origin of it all happened. Truth be told, Stasi came about by accident. It was it was like an opportunity that I saw. Um, my first ever experience was in Florida so it's always a little bit strange that my story has like this particular um, idiosyncrasy, idiosyncratic portion to it. But I had a terrible addiction problem and had to get sober. And so I basically like got shipped out to Florida because I had a cousin who lived in South Florida who was also in recovery. And um, during like my first couple months of trying to get sober and like get my life back together, I came across an issue of success magazine and it was only like 11 years ago, which is so crazy to say, but success magazine used to have these CDs in them with the interviews. And just by happenstance, the CD was uh, of Seth Godin. And I don't even really remember the interview. I know that it was when like purple cow was coming out. And so idea virus type shit was floating out there. But at the end of the interview, um, the, interviewee asked him so like you know the old if, if you had to give a piece of advice where to start what would you say and he said start a blog don't tell anybody about it and write in it every day and so that's just what i did i like didn't have 
any goals or anything like that. I was like, well, this guy seemed really cool. And he told me to start a blog and not to tell anybody and to write in it every day. And um, so I would just write about the most random stuff. I would write about my day or like how I was feeling trying to be sober when that was like the last thing I ever did in my life or if I was like scared about stuff or even just random stuff. Like I remember writing an article about how to make a perfect peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you know? <laughs> and uh, eventually people started finding my website and that was how I discovered SEO because remember I didn't tell anybody about it. Like I didn't tell a single person about it. And, um, and, and that's when it clicked. So eventually that website turned into a, my first ever business, a website called Sober Nation, which is, uh, it's still probably till this day. I, I always hesitate when I say this because I don't know if it's true just because I've never done the research, but I think it's still the biggest like recovery community on the internet, which basically probably means worldwide. And it was through building Sober Nation that I understood what it meant to have like an online community. And eventually I started getting approached by behavioral healthcare facilities. Like, how did you grow this group of people? And in my mind, I wasn't doing anything other than sharing my story and giving other people a platform to share their own story. Right. And so um, just through some of the stuff that I was learning from Seth Godin and through the stuff that I was learning with Copyblogger, I like accidentally built this really great brand around an industry that other businesses need services for. And so after like the third facility approached me like, Hey man, how did you do this? Like, can you help us? Um, by happenstance, coincidence or fate or whatever you want to call it. There was a guy named Mike Ramsey who wrote an article on Moz. It was like a super huge guide back when, uh, this was back when it was just Moz.org, you know, it wasn't even, or when it was SEO Moz, excuse me. Yeah. When it was SEO Moz.com. And this article talked about how, Mike Ramsey wanted to start an agency. And then one of his mentors said, there's, there's like 30,000 agencies out there. Like, why would somebody ever choose you? And it was right then that he knew he had to be specific. And so that's why he decided to start a local agency. And since then, um, he's still a really successful guy. His agency is Nifty Marketing and they do only personal injury law. So they got even more specific, right? And, um, and when I read that article, it just totally clicked on me. It was like, oh my God, like I totally get it. There's such a huge need for this service out here for behavioral healthcare facilities who are trying to get the word out that they can help others with addiction, you know? And, um, and so I just went for it, man. And that was more than 10 years ago and, and we've been doing it ever since. Yeah. And I love that it was, it came from such a personal place that like you started the site, like I know it was like the fourth dimension, right? And that was your blog that yeah. morphed into Sober Nation. And mm -hmm. um, how then did it become a business? So I know the SEO part, but you mentioned Sober Nation was sort of your first business. Was it, um, was there anything particular like service-wise you were offering through there or really building the community that just was something people could uh, connect to? Well, it was both. And I'm so glad you asked this question because, because you know, sometimes when people ask me questions whether it's like mentorship or something, and I'm sure you can relate to this as a guy who's like seen some success, you have to say, keep trying and you'll figure it out. And the truth of the matter is that Sober Nation was a complete failure over and over and over and over again. Like nothing I did worked. I thought 
I could just sell banner spots on it because that's how you made money on the internet yeah. 10 years ago. <laughs> you know, like the whole thing was banner spots. But then I quickly discovered that that means that you spend most of your time selling and like none of your time creating content. And so, you know, I tried to put a directory on it. And then I thought, um, I, I mean, man, I can go on and on about all the things I tried that failed. Um, and so in a way, Sobernation was just like this proxy to get me to Stadzi. And then through Stadzi, I was able to become like a real professional. And I discovered that the way to make money in an industry is just to do, is just to figure out a way to provide what people really want. And, uh, and it's really not harder than that because I think a lot of times as entrepreneurs, we say like, this is the thing that I want to give the world. And sometimes that works. But the reality is that in a lot of instances, it's exactly the opposite where you're saying like, what is it that people need and then figure out, work backwards, how to get it to them. And uh, while working with facilities, it was always the same thing. Like we don't want advertising. We don't want to do any of that. We just need people who need help to call us. And, and that's it. Like it really was that simple. So through the banner ads and and the ads and like, you know, the different levels of membership and like the yellow pages and all of the crazy ideas I had, eventually it, it came down to the fact that like, no, if I'm going to provide, if I'm going to help the people that need these resources, the best thing I can do for them is just give them a direct access to a facility that can help them. And so eventually we built a network of, uh, of like regional phone calls, basically, where certain advertisers will pay for you know, phone calls that are generated from like this part of the country, this part of the country, this part of the country. And, you know, that only happened a couple of years ago. And so it, it really did. I'm not bullshitting when I say this. It really took like nine years to figure out how to even turn it into a business. But ever since then, it's been it's been great. Yeah. I mean, and you have that deep connection to it because it's it plays such an important role in your life and in your story and your journey that it it keeps you going until you find that thing that makes it makes it click together because you already had it sounds like you had the traffic you had the the inbounds but then how do you make this an endeavor that can be self-sustaining because like it does it it costs time and money to run something like that especially when it's um when it grows to a certain level where it's like okay there's there's more here that i need to focus my attention on but i can't take away completely from stadzi or now copy blogger even um, to focus on it. So that's great because it is, it's, um, it's a great example, I think, of not throwing away a thing because my focus is here now. Like I see that a lot with people. They're like, oh, now I am this. So like NFTs are huge now and people are like, oh, I am an NFT this, I'm an NFT that. And I'm like, what about everything else you've done? You didn't mm -hmm. need to like flick all those switches off. Like those are still important, important parts of your journey. And maybe playing a very important role like Sober Nation in the lives of many people. And yeah, I think that's really valuable to to keep things around and not not ditch them because maybe it's not to the degree that, that we might want, you know? I totally agree with that. Um, I think if you and I like hung out for a while, we would find a, a bunch of like methods or or like an ethos or whatever that, that you and I both agree with. Um, I'm lucky in that recovery teaches me how to really not care about instant gratification. And I, I use the, I'm even more than lucky, like I'm fortunate 
that the worst experiences in my life led to such great changes in perspective because uh because for me that's that's really been the trick because when when you're getting sober everything is on like the process you know like trust the process don't worry about the end result because in recovery like there actually is no end result like you never you never get like a certificate right like you just keep going the next day and the next day and the next day until ultimately like you live a a happy life and i was able to take that lesson and just apply it to creating content and driving traffic and making people happy where like, I don't need to have it all figured out right now, because even when I think I do have it figured out, something else is going to change, which is going to flip the script on me anyway, you know? So I'm so fortunate in that, like you said, I've never needed something to work out right now because that just gives me the space and the perspective to just keep on tweaking the process, keep on tweaking the process. And then, you know, 10 years from now, you look back and you're like, damn, that that shit really worked. And I never even tried to make it work. It just turned into something that was valuable, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I love that. And so on to Stadzi then. So when you were launching, you were, you essentially, it sounds like you found that overlap, like your client base sort of became, or Sober Nation sort of became your client generator, it sounds like. Is that Mm -hmm. a good explanation? Uh, for sure, at least in the beginning, because Server Nation just had such brand equity, but um, but I never relied on it. You know, I'm very proud of the fact that Stadzi generates its own clients through SEO. Mm-hmm. One of the pet peeves of mine, and you know, I don't want to like bash anybody, but it it doesn't upset me as much as I kind of just roll my eyes on it, is like all the SEO agencies in the country that when you look at their websites, are just like complete shit, you know? <laughs> and it's like, I don't get it. If you can't do it for yourself, how can you do it for anybody else? Exactly. And so, so it's really meant a lot to me that, um, that like I, so it's always my favorite when people call me because people are reluctant because SEO agencies all over the time, or excuse me, all over the place, burn people on like hype, right? And so they said, well, how do I know this is going to work? And so I say, like, well, how did you find me? I was like, well, I found you on Google. I'm like, okay, so I know what I'm talking about, right? Um, So forgive me. Let me get off my soapbox a little bit. But yeah, in the beginning, Server Nation just created some awareness for what I was trying to do. But through Copyblogger, really, I was very, very deliberate about understanding that there's a small but potent audience for people that want to learn how to grow healthcare facilities online because healthcare even today is very archaic i mean in a lot of different ways but even in marketing you'd be surprised the whole entire thing relies on referrals between other professionals you know and so there's you know like multi-billion dollar industries that still don't spend a dime on digital marketing and so uh and so I was just very deliberate about it. Like, let me write in this blog about, about healthcare marketing. You know, let me send out emails that give advice for the tiny little outpatient facility of like a mom and pop that, you know, treat like six people a week and do group meetings and have no budget for it. And let me just tell them like, no, if you do this, people in your local area will find you when they need you and they'll call you. And you can serve them. 
So it was a very small audience, but I spoke directly to them. And, you know, over years and years and years, it, it compounds until it, it just, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Having your niche is so valuable because it really, it, it, you can carve out your lane so much better than just being, I'm this for everyone. Like, have you ever considered or dabbled in expanding the niche or has that been the, the lane that you stuck to? Man, what a great question. And this again is like a Seth Godin thing that taught me. And uh, I've since um, gone a little bit further with, with my own thoughts because Seth Godin has this idea about a race to the bottom. Whereas unless you have a very specific person that you're talking to, um, he says it a little differently. So Seth Godin would say, don't race to the bottom. And on my walks, as I've thought about it, I've expanded it into racing to the bottom means being generic. It means appealing to everybody. And the only things that can appeal to everybody are the, the only differentiating factor you have if you're trying to appeal to everybody is to be the cheapest. And in today's world, like you will never out cheap Amazon. You know, like you'll always be in second or third place or probably 10th or 20th place in being the cheapest. And that's just the absolute worst place you can be. So, uh, so yeah, I'm a huge, huge proponent in being specific. Um, and I'm, uh, I'm always weary. It, it's fear-based really. When you, when you get specific and you say, I want to talk to these people, because what you're doing is you're also saying like, I don't want to talk to these people. So then what happens when, you know, you're, your brother's friend's cousin or something finds out that you are a web designer and they have some random website that they need for some really random business that has nothing to do with the people that you serve. Like you need the courage to tell that person like, no, I'm sorry, this isn't for you. And it's a real short term, like kick in the gut, but it's a real long-term growth um, factor, which will absolutely 100% pay off. Yeah. Defining who it's not for is just as valuable as defining who it's for because it really that's that sort of calibrates your compass and sets sets you on the journey that that you're sort of poised to be most successful on you mentioned going on your walk and working out sort of working through the concept do walks play a big role in sort of your day-to-day like your entrepreneurial sort of vibe oh yeah Uh, fitness in general plays a big role um I've always gone for nightly walks, especially. Um, so when I lived in Florida, I, I mean, geez, the more I think about it, I've gone for nightly walks like every day for, for almost 10 years. Um, but there's a little bit more to it than that because I was an endurance athlete for a lot of my life. I just loved cardio. You know, I loved the idea that, um, that everybody else would quit before me just because I had like the endurance capacity. And I I know that sounds very ego driven and it it probably was, but I, I really loved it too. Like, I just love those late night sweaty runs when it's dark and you got your headphones in. Um, I really loved it. But a couple of years ago, I, I think from all the running, I had a terribly herniated disc in my back. And so I had to get back surgery to fix it. And I haven't been able to run ever since. And it's been like, uh, a real change in my life. Um, I've since switched it up for a rowing machine and I've, I've fallen in love with the rowing machine as well. However, there's still something about that just alone, peaceful nighttime stroll that 
I need, I can't even tell you why I need it. I just, I really do. Um, and yeah, like a lot of my best thoughts and even a lot of my best, like mental cleansing, sometimes the purpose isn't to think, you know, sometimes the purpose is just to let all of the gibberish in my brain filter its way out. So yeah, man, I, I, I couldn't tell you how important that's been in my life. Yeah. It sounds like a meditation for you. For sure. I read this book by Riza from the Wu-Tang Clan a while ago called the Tao of the Wu. And I remember he was talking about this thing. Um, he was going through a tough time. And so he would go for walks around Staten Island all the time. And, and he came up with something that always stuck with me. He said, uh, um, meditation is simply when your mind and your body are connected. And that always stuck with me. I was like, oh, wow, what a great way to think about it. You know, so whether you're just focusing on your breathing or whether you're just focusing on your pace in a run, um, it's that zone, right? And I think that's another reason why I liked cardio because when you're doing cardio, like you don't have any space in your head to think about anything other than nothing, you know? And it's like one of the only places where I've, I've been able to, uh, to find that. And as soon as I read that, it always, it always really stuck with me. Meditation is anytime that your mind and your body are connected. Yeah, I like that a lot because yeah, it's so true because we try to think we're not even trying to get to a point of not thinking and not having thoughts. We're, we're trying to just release them, let them do their thing. But it's hard. Mm. It's so hard to get there, right? I mean, especially like like sitting when it's like just sit in a chair and just uh, whether it's a breathing meditation or whatever, whatever one's meditation of choice is, it we can we can almost be self-defeating at times because it's hard to let go and be like, no, 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 it's, it's fine to be thinking about things. We just need to come back to our center at some point in that process. It's, it's so cool. And it, I think that's a big misconception about meditation where people think it's about stillness and it's actually not. It's about like observation. It's about observing yourself and not judging yourself. That's, that's why funny. I like, do you ever go to float tanks? I have not done a float tank, but I, I'm very curious about it. Yeah, they're rad, man. Um, it's not the like endless void black hole that people are scared it is it's it's really not at all you're, you're very aware and like you can just stand up and walk out anytime you know you're not going to get stuck in this this <laughs> <laughs> this black hole um but yeah that's that's really helped where you can just almost step away from your thoughts and just observe them passing and then you have the chance to like oh wow like why did i think that as opposed to oh i gotta stop thinking you know, like I need my brain to be still. I need my brain to be still. It's, it's much more for me. Um, it's much more beneficial just to allow my thinking to happen and then not judge myself, which is difficult. Oh yeah, for sure. For everyone. Um, and for a float tank, then just, just quickly as an aside, can you just describe that? Because it's essentially a very, uh, salt heavy water that you can float in in a little container, right? Yeah. And the, the containers are much, that's exactly it. It's a, it's a tank. Um, but they're much bigger than people think there are ones that are like pods, which are small. I've never been in one of those ones. The ones that I'm in there, I mean, it's, it's like the size of a locker. Basically you can stand up in them. Um, and yes, it's very salt. It's, it's a mixture of water and salt, which basically keeps you at a perfect buoyancy and the, the, sol the solution, I guess you could call it, is heated to your exact body temperature. And when you close the door, it's, it's complete darkness. 
So it takes some time because you don't even realize that you're not relaxing until you like start really breathing out and like your neck and your shoulders and all that stuff just starts to sink. But, um, but you can't feel anything and it's great. So like the water comes over your ears a little bit. So you can really just hear uh, the sound of your breath. And, and it's, it's, it's like a really cool experience. I think everybody should do them at least once a month. Um, it's, I love it. I really, really enjoy it from a meditative standpoint, but also there's something about just being in the solution and, and in the darkness that makes it much easier. You know, like how, how often do people try to meditate and then the cell phone vibrates or their dog barks and it's like, Oh, I can't do this. Let me stand up. It just forces you to, to, to be in the moment. Yeah. And you essentially lose, uh, sensation of your edges right because you said it's it matches your temperature you're floating so you're not actually touching anything um so it sort of could that's why people think maybe of like a void or whatever because it's pitch black and there's nothing there's no sensation necessarily that's exactly what it is I, what a great way to describe it too you you lose your edges like you you, you lose a little bit of the distinction between like you and the rest of the world um so yeah, man, I'm, I'm glad you asked me that question. I think float tanks are really, really beneficial. And it's, and, and since we're talking about it though, the other mm -hmm. thing that it does is um, we don't realize how much pressure is on our spine and our necks, even when we're relaxed. Cause even when you're lying in bed, there's a, there's a point of pressure on you. Like, you know, you're relaxing on the couch or something like that in a float tank. It really is the only possible way where your head and like this part of your neck and your lumbar and even your shoulders are just completely relaxed without them having to adjust to, you know, like the cushion of the couch or, or your pillow or something. And so if you spend an hour in a float tank, just lying there, when you get out, your neck will feel more relaxed than it, than it ever has. And you won't even realize like, damn, I've been living my whole life with my shoulders up in my ears, you know? So that's like a real hidden benefit that, that has been helpful to me too. Yeah, definitely. And I saw that you were so more into lifting and I, you're doing like a pull-up challenge right now. I saw. Um, oh yeah. You so, saw that? Oh yeah. Well, yeah, I like to dig in a little <laughs> bit and see, see what's going on like right now, a little window into it, which is awesome. Like congrats. Cause that is like pull-ups are a big challenge. Like, fitness plays like a big role in my life too. Just like, like you said, the meditation of the running, like me, it's always been lifting, like not, I was bigger at one point, like, uh, more muscle mass at one point, but it's not really that focus anymore. It's more just the, the meditation of it. This is actually my gym. I have a squat rack literally right here. You can't see it cool. um, from there, but yeah, I just rearranged the room for recording these episodes. But yeah, this is sort of my little, um, my little domain that's like office gym, recording studio, everything. But yeah, I can totally relate. And I think it's important to have those things outside of entrepreneurship because entrepreneurship is the sport like to me it's that competitive like sport but then having something outside i think is is immensely valuable man like i said before you and i could just hang out and 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 really just vibe i think i can't think of anything more important than to be healthy it seems so smack in the face obvious you know because and then what's the trap right you spend your whole life working for these things and then you lose your health and then suddenly you realize that without your health nothing else even matters because when your health is a problem like it's the only problem you have and so it, it always just yeah it, it discourages me a bit that health isn't more a part of like 
the vernacular in our country and our society. And I'm also, I find it very confusing because if I go two days without moving around a little bit, like I feel like shit. And I think to myself, doesn't, I'm not special. Like I just have a body like everybody else. Doesn't everybody just feel like achy and squirmy and stuff. And so, so yeah, um, my pull-up challenge has been fun. You know, I, it's been an adjustment to actually have like muscle on me. I was always like the skinny runner kid that could do like 15 pull-ups and, you know, jump squats and stuff. And, uh, and so I've really enjoyed the process of just picking heavy stuff up. I've never been able to do that, you know, (laughs) but, uh, along with that, if I do a pull-up, like I'm pulling up 25 more pounds than I was when I was in that, um, you know, peak cardio hit fitness, um, type thing. So, so it's cool. I, 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 it's been an adjustment of like getting to know my, my body a little bit differently. For sure. Do you feel like you get the same, um, reward from lifting as you did from running? Because I've always been in the lifting camp, never in the running camp. And I'm, it is such a dramatic shift. Like you said, um, are you able, do you sort of feel the same, uh, rewards in the end? Mm-hmm. Okay. No. And that's why I still have the row machine. That's why I go to Muay Thai a lot as well. Um, that runner's high is a real thing, you know, and, and I get a lifter's high for sure. My wife is, is a lot more into, into lifting. And, you know, frankly, I think with running, especially there's some things about it that are detrimental. Um, like I'm almost positive. That's how I, I herniated the disc in my back, but man, there's another side of me that thinks human it's the running long distance is the thing that we do better than any other animal in the world. You know, like human beings literally can run down horses. If they just keep running, we can run down any animal ever just because we're the only ones with this weird cardiovascular system that makes it so that I I'm not the best sprinter, but like, I will just keep running and I will eventually run anything down. Yeah. Because and, persistence, uh, persistence hunting is actually a thing where you're running oh, yeah. until the animal has exhausted, but the human just done. Yeah. Kept going. That's, that's exactly right. And, uh, and I, so I think there's some like internal reward mechanism for people after they get that, that sort of runner's high. And so I've, I've supplemented it with, uh, with the rowing machine, but also with, with Muay Thai classes, which I, I also find to be a ton of fun. Yeah, for sure. And this has been great. I don't want to take too much more of your time. So I got all the time, man. I'm having a blast. Oh, nice. Like when someone is just starting out, like I know this is sort of a, a left turn out of fitness and everything, but I always like to just ask because I call it starting now because I think it's so important for someone to uh, to take the leap because like I wanted to start a podcast for like, I don't know, eight years before I started this one. I started it in 2020 like so many other people did because it was like, oh, uh, lockdown, all these things are happening. I should finally do this. And I just think it's so important to take the leap. So for someone who maybe has had this idea for whatever it might be for such a long time. Do you have any advice on um, getting started? Maybe like in a similar lane to where you are. I do actually. And the advice is not just start. I think that is uh, very easy to say, but I think it's also very non-efficient because I think the reason most people quit is because they just start and they can't see it going anywhere. And like, of course, 
it's always the people who have had success that spit out the things like, oh, you just got to keep going. You know, you just got to grind it out and work harder. But when you're in the other side, that, that, that doesn't mean anything if, you know, you've been at it for nine months and haven't had like a single sale, you know? And so, like I said, I was fortunate in that I've learned these lessons from getting sober about like avoiding instant gratification and stuff like that. But if I, I wouldn't change a thing, but if I had another chance to, to redo my process, I would put a whole lot more emphasis when into really, really, really thinking about what it is that you want. And I don't mean that from, you know, like, oh, I want a jet and I want to be rich, right? It, it's not about that. Even if you just have a real specific um, outcome, really, like I teach a lot of this stuff in Copy Blogger because so much, so many content creators, especially writers, you just think, I'm just going to start writing. I'm just going to put my message out there and eventually something will happen. And that's not the case. So I think it's really, really important to define what it is that I want. So that could be, I want a thousand email subscribers. That could be, I want to make 10,000 bucks a month. You know, that could be, um, well, who knows? That's up to the person to decide for themselves. But I think when you know what it is that you're working towards, it makes it a whole lot easier to make decisions because then you can just say, is this decision going to get me closer to what I want? Or is this going to distract me from what I want? And uh, I've wasted uh, the culmination. I, I have no idea, like years probably in doing things that weren't getting me any closer to what it was that I, that I wanted because I never actually took the time to decide, like, what, what do I want? You know? And, uh, and if there is one place to get started, I think it's taking a step back and being super, super honest. And I'm not talking about goals, you know, I'm saying like, what do you want? And then once you know what that is, everything you do can be um, put through that filter. And if it's going to get closer, then do it. And if it's not, then don't, regardless of how fun it sounds or how cool it sounds or anything like that. If your goal is to get a thousand email subscribers and your friend comes up to you about this cool podcast idea and you know, like, we're just going to be a bunch of guys hanging out. Is that going to get closer to what you want? No. Okay. Then don't do it because years down the lane or excuse me, years down the line, like you'll be so much further ahead if everything that you do is, is, is down the path that you want to go. Yeah, absolutely. Because we can get caught in that just sort of hustle cycle. Like all does it do more? Like I do, like, I do believe like doing things creates opportunity but at the same time, if we're just doing like constantly every single thing that draws our attention, we're running towards that without a set goal that it's just a recipe for for failure, unfortunately. Well, that's exactly right. And and when I say it, you want to be matter of fact about it. But there's context in life. You know, I'm not saying don't try new things or don't experiment with stuff or, you know, don't give something a shot. It's just avoiding unnecessary effort and wasting unnecessary time because our world has so many distractions. You know, like there are the smartest people in the world that get together in rooms on a daily basis and try to figure out ways to get you to stop doing what you're doing to do something else instead. And, and 
to avoid that, you have to be super, super deliberate with knowing what you're working towards. Yeah, for sure. Um, and just in the new shiny object sense, we talked a little bit about NFTs over uh, DMs. What What are your thoughts on NFTs right now? Where are you sort of in the space? You mentioned something about a story with mutant apes that you maybe... Oh, man. Yeah. Broke my heart. <laughs> uh I think they are super exciting. I spent weeks, the the hardest I've ever worked on a piece of writing for my personal blog was on an NFT article, trying to just not necessarily talk about what they are. I think a lot of people get what they are now, but trying to understand how it's actually going to affect us all. Um, so <laughs> what do I think? I think playing with JPEG NFTs is a ton of fun. Although in the story that I told you, I literally clicked the wrong button and sold a mutant ape for 0.45 ETH, where I meant to sell it for 5.4 ETH, which doesn't <laughs> sound like a lot. It's the difference is like fourteen thousand dollars. Yeah, you know. So, so you know the the good things and the bad things about blockchain are almost like really symbiotically represented in that simple um, mistake I made because I have no idea who bought it. And that's great, but it's also not great because there's no customer service for the blockchain. You know, there's no like, hey, shit, I clicked the <laughs> wrong button. Give me my mutant ape back. And, uh, and so you got to live with that. But, you know, really when I think about NFTs, this is what I think about. I think about Fortnite players building multi-billion dollar digital shoe businesses. I think about art museums that, um, you know, let, let's go even weirder. I think about augmented reality events in which the real estate of the virtual space gets leased and rented out to advertisers. I mean, that's because you can do that. Like you can tokenize a, a space, you can tokenize the pixels within either a virtual reality world or an, I mean, even through like a zoom world, it, it can still be a physical reality in an augmented like code-based system, you know? Um, and the, the businesses, I, I think digital real estate is really, really fascinating. I think that's something that from a practicality standpoint, there's like a high likelihood of that actually turning into, into something, right? Because as soon as there's going to be space, there's going to be people that want to sell ads against it. And, and I think that's like a, a, I think who knows what's going to happen, you know, but I can see that turning into something very, very quickly. I got a friend, his name is Jeff. He's pretty big into the NFT space. He's probably like an NFT celeb, whatever you call that. But he is working on a project now where he is building and selling digital artists. So mind you, I didn't say digital art. He is creating actual digital artists that then create their own music, which can be tokenized and sold. Um, so what does that actually mean then? Like sort of practically speaking, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Like, does anybody know yeah. the answer to that? I mean, basically it means that computers can be their own autonomous businesses, create music and sell that music in the form of a token to 
anybody that wants to lease it for a video game to anybody that wants to lease it for a party. You know, I, there's another guy that I like. His name's Drawer. Um, he was on my podcast. He he runs a newsletter, Drawer Poleg. Um, I know it's hard to pronounce. D R O R P O L E G dot com, and he sees NFTs in a in a whole new way. So I never even thought about this, but once you do, it's it's so obvious. Celebs show up for um, like meet and greets all the time, right? Well, now that you can tokenize your time, why why wouldn't a celebrity be like, hey, I will send you a gesture, right? Like I'll I'll say hi to you. I'll make a tokenized piece of media that says hi to a certain person, and we can transact upon that gesture on a blockchain. So. When you talk about NFTs, it's hard not to like go down a rabbit hole just because your brain starts thinking of all the different possibilities that it can be. But I think it's very, very obvious to anybody that's that's paying attention that that tokenized JPEGs of monkeys has nothing to do with where NFTs are going to be five or ten years from now. Yeah, it's just it's the early adopters. It's the way in to sort of uh, test the waters because even already the I what I find really fascinating is the in person. Uh, the melding of an in-person experience with NFTs, whether if it's like uh, just like Gary V's V Friends, it's a it's a ticket into his conference. So if you have a V friend, you can go to the conference like two times or four times or whatever it is. But then there's other even smaller scale things where like Top Dog Beach Club. Um, eh, I don't want to say smaller scale, but essentially they're doing something where they're having like two beach parties a year. They've already done like in-person. Um, uh, gallery type events and think for nfts to like bring people in and it's really fascinating because i i do think there is like you said the digital space and i think melding the the tokenization of digital spaces around uh, along with in-person experiences is i think it's going to be this seamless transition where suddenly like what's an nft we don't even like care about that term anymore because it is just like oh this is just the the app i use on my phone to get into this event I don't, I don't have a paper ticket. I don't have these things, but I also have this ticket forever. I could sell it, a transact on it later. It's, yeah, very fascinating, very fascinating time. I, I totally agree with that. I think, I, I think so. Here's something that I think is is so interesting. When you look at the Jetsons, when we think about the future, we're always totally wrong. You know, if you look at the Jetsons, they had flying cars and teleportation machines, but they were still doing their homework on pencil and paper. <laughs> and I remember seeing that cartoon and thinking to myself, like, we don't, we have no clue what's going to happen. And I think that analogy played itself out for me, at least with virtual reality, because 10 years ago, everybody was so convinced that the world is going to be virtual reality. But the, the more we've gotten closer to it, the more we've realized that people with like, actual prefrontal cortexes get freaked out when you put something over their eyes and they can't see the sensations. They, they can't match all of their sensations together in an experience. And so I don't think that, I think NFTs are a way to, like you said, blend the actual world that we live in with digital worlds. And so that doesn't necessarily mean living in like this, this virtual reality, um, world otherworldly dimension i think that means simple things you know like selling houses mm -hmm. i think it means the middlemen basically are going to disappear
Because how long is it going to be until somebody realizes, why am I paying 3% of this house to a broker that is completely unnecessary when there's, there's a piece of code that can justify a transaction for me on a blockchain? So it's going to be stuff like that, stuff that when it happens is going to seem so obvious. But now, like, we just can't help but think of the world and in the Jetsons, right? <laughs> but, you know, the Jetsons were doing their homework on pencil and paper. Yeah. <laughs> so I just think it's so cool, the analogy there. Yeah. Um, this has been great. Like, thanks for taking the time out of your day. I really had a great time chatting, diving into your story and everything. Where should we send people um, to check out what you're up to and follow along? Yeah, timstods.com. That's my personal blog. Um, I send a weekly newsletter every Friday because are you even a millennial if you don't have a newsletter? <laughs> but um, but I, I enjoy it. It's where I just get to write a little bit more about what I'm doing, if I'm traveling, if I'm thinking about anything. Um, it's, it's very business oriented at the same time. I'm a huge believer that that our world is heading to a way where like everybody needs to fend for themselves. That sounds like like Hunger Games-ish. I don't mean it that way. I just mean that it's it's like long tail. You know, like everybody has a unique thing that they can offer the market. And as our needs are met more and more through automation, it like frees up the space for creative monetization, you know? And so I think it's important that people take that seriously. And so that's that's what I write about a lot, like different opportunities to to build um, digital income streams, you know. So timstods.com, T-I-M-S-T-O-D-Z. Uh, and Jeff, thank you so much for chatting with me, man. I uh, I I had a great time, and I appreciate you uh, being patient with my <laughs> with my ranting. <laughs> oh no, no, this is good. This is this is really great. It's not ranting at all, you know. I just yeah, I like diving into the stories. It's fun. I want to thank Tim for joining me on this episode. Be sure to head over to stodzy.com. That's S-T-O-D-Z-Y.com to check out everything he's up to. As always, this episode of Starting Now is brought to you by Built. At Built, we help you get started online. Whether you want to start a blog or a business, head on over to built.co. That's B-Y-L-T dot C-O to get started. Built, your website, built for you simply. Finally, if you're enjoying the show, be sure to subscribe on YouTube and give it a little thumbs up. That really means a lot and helps me uh, reach new people. It's been steadily growing as of late, which really makes me happy just seeing new people coming in and enjoying the show. So yeah, for everyone out there, thank you so much. And that'll do it for this week. Again, I'm Jeff Saris. This has been Starting Now, and I'll see you next time.